episode of Inside the Recording Studio. I am Jody Whitesides, and with me as always is Mr. Chris Hellstrom. How are you today, Chris? I'm good. Now I'm confused. Shit, I thought we went back to like the 20s there for a second. You sound like 20s old, old-timey radio. That's uh, just trying to get in the mood for what we're about to talk about today. All right. Well, what are we about to talk about today? EQ styles and kind of like a yes or no on corrective versus sweetening kind of thing. Mm. All right. That's my That's understanding right. anyway. Yeah. <laughs> Glad we're both on the same page uh-huh. <laughs> because that would be awkward. I'm not talking about your subject. I'm <laughs> going to talk about something else. Uh, uh, Check your reality and insert my own. Exactly. To you, we'll just jump right in. What oh. What is the difference between corrective versus sweetening EQ? In my mind. In your mind. And I live there. Holy shit. <laughs> I hear corrective EQ as fixing something that is mildly, intermediately, or grossly out of order in a recorded track. That's corrective EQ. Okay. Sweetening EQ, I'm going to hear as a method of putting a little extra sheen on something that already is in a decent place. Fair enough. I agree with that. I like to think. Okay. I mean, you're agreeing with that statement, but are you going to say there's something different to that? Yeah. I mean, I think very similarly as you do. I think the difference is just a corrective, like you're fixing issues in the audio, Mm -hmm. not necessarily just, uh, oh, I know I'm going to roll off some low end here, but if there are issues where there might be rumble or there might be a hissing frequency or something. There might be a ringing in a snare that you know is going to be an issue. Those are fixes that I'm looking at as corrective. You're correcting the source. And sweetening would be, to me, just making it sit better in the mix. Okay. Wouldn't corrective EQ also help something sit better in the mix as well? I mean, that's kind of the point of EQ in general. To me, it's just... Getting rid of stuff that is going to cause an issue down the line. Okay. You know, that's the way I look at it. Ultimately, if we're listening to some audio and we're deciding to use some EQ on it is generally it doesn't have enough of this. So we add that or it has too much of this and we remove that. That, That's basically (laughs) EQ, right? (laughs) But I think just the mindset is because I know that when I track stuff, And generally, this would be with live drums and things, Uh where before I even get into mixing drums, I listen for potential issues. And all smart tracking engineers, recording engineers would do that. Yeah. And you could say that, well, shouldn't that have been done at the recording stage? And and of course, that's you shoot for that. As best as possible. But there might be issues there. There might be, like you said, there might be some rumble or it might be something. So I like to get rid of those. And it's sort of like a mix prep type of thing that I like to do mm-hmm. so that I know when I'm mixing a track and I'm going, what the heck is that no- annoying frequency? Oh, it's that once I compress the snare, we got like a weird ring in like the 2K range or whatever. Right. So I like to get rid of those things as much as I can before I do it. Sure. That's kind of the whole point of the Al Schmidt method of getting the microphone in the right space. Yeah, but I'm not Al Schmidt. <laughs> so, are you yeah, sure? You, uh, oh, I, I, yeah, no, I, I don't even have anything funny to say to that. Of course, that's 
the thing, but in the mix, there are moving parts and things happen and you try to capture things as best as possible. There might always be issues. There might be string squeaks on a guitar or there might be other issues that you... Well, yeah. let's take a case of point. We recently yeah. were working on a mix for a song that we were working down. Yep. And there was an issue that I heard on literally one word that was getting yeah. mashed by the kick drum. And then there was another point where there was a single word that had an issue with the proximity of the vocal to the vocal mic. Yeah. With the first one, with the word being hidden, so to speak, with the kick drum, explain what you did there. With a word, I didn't solve it in the way that you think I solved it. I didn't uh, say you did. No, I know. Because <laughs> I offered but, up a suggestion. <laughs> right, but we're talking about EQ here, so I think that's... But oh, so it wasn't an EQ thing that you did? It wasn't an EQ thing is the way I solved oh, that. I, I if solved I could that, reach it, through the screen and I could have my white glove, I would slap you across the face. <laughs> yeah, but it worked though, didn't it? It did. Uh, no, it, it was an issue where I thought possibly it was just going to do a quick dip on the offending frequency, just automate something there. I think it came down to just a half a dB or maybe even a dB vocal ride mm. on that first syllable of the word. Ah, gotcha. So, so that kind of took care of that. What was the other one you asked me about? The vocal oh, the proximity, proximity thing. Yeah, on yeah, the yeah. Word. <clears throat> this one was an EQ thing. Mm -hmm. It was also just on, not even a word. I think it was just one syllable. It was pretty close. Was, yeah, I mean, it was a very yeah. small thing. Right, and because of the technique of how you had recorded that vocal, where you had to have been very close up to the microphone, we got a little bit of a proximity effect. It almost sounded like a puff into the microphone. So in that case, it was just a matter of automating out the low end. I, I just did like a low shelf automated cut mm -hmm. attenuation around, it was like 160 maybe, for just that word, just automated that. Yeah. And that took care of the issue. Had I removed that much through the entire vocal take, that would have been oh, an issue because then it would have yeah. sounded thin and it would have been horrible. So there's a little bit of a balancing act there where the temptation might be to, even if you're just doing a vocal ride on it, that you want to take out more than you necessarily should. Uh -huh. And it's a trial and error type of thing, but I think it was even, it wasn't a lot there either. It was maybe like 2 dB that came out, if that. And you know what's awesome that, about it? What's that? With the modern tools of the DAW, you can automate that stuff. You don't have to have 10 people trying to synchronize their moves yeah. <laughs> on the yeah. entire mix and be like, okay, you do this here, you do that there, I'll get this here. And you're practicing it over and over and over again. It's a matter of right. just going yeah, right back now to that phrase and you can listen to it and go, oh, I can just automate this little bit out and put it right back in and, and nobody's the wiser. And it does yeah. sound really good. So, yeah. It's nice just on the technique there and overstating the obvious here. You could have that if you have a control surface, just put your track into write mode or latch mode or whatever, and you make that little fade. Mm -hmm. If you want to get really anal with it, go in and draw in your nodes and do the ride that way. So we can do these really precise things, obviously, and, and shouldn't be afraid of doing those little adjustments because they can make a huge difference, as we noticed on this track. They can. And... This kind of segues into the next portion of what we're talking about here, how you would go about using EQ to do corrective steps. 
And yeah. since you were correcting something on this vocal, you've mentioned one or two things, but another thing that may or may not be very useful in a corrective sense is the size of your cue. You didn't really mention, you just mentioned, oh, I dipped something out at 160. The idea of the cue size begins to take effect here because if you have to correct something that's drastic and maybe it's in the 400 range, but you don't want it to start touching into 200, 100, 750, 1K, it becomes an issue of your Q range, because if your Q range is too big, you're going to start affecting a lot of things around it. Yeah, absolutely. And in this case, it was an easy one because it was just a low end. Mm -hmm. right? And being at a vocal, it wasn't a whole lot of information. So in this case, I could just use the low end shelf and I just like took out a little bit. But just like you're saying, if you're higher up in the frequencies, depending on where that issue lies, if we take out too much, it's just, you're not necessarily fixing it. You're just affecting Altering the, entire the entire audio. character yeah. of the yeah, thing. Yeah, so it can very easily start sounding unnatural, I find, if we have it too wide uh, of a cue setting. Right. Nice and narrow bounds there and just zooming in on that frequency. If that's and, uh, the problem. Obviously, sometimes things can be a little bit wider, but as you mentioned, Getting too aggressive can start to cause issues with that instrument or that vocal starting to sound unnatural. Indeed. So the temptation can be to want to cut more than is actually necessary. Mm -hmm. And I think, well, I tend to do these things initially in solo mode because I want to really own in on the offending frequency and fix that. But once it's actually sitting in the mix, if I've been too aggressive with it, it can again start sounding unnatural, even if I pay attention to the cue width, right? right. So maybe a few dB will just take care of it, but obviously very, very dependent on the issue is and what the track is. So, mm -hmm. so how do you go about that? What, do you have anything to add to that? Or what, what does your experience tell you? I would have approached a couple of things maybe a little differently and, and has more to do with the tools that we have available now, if you have them sure. under your belt, so to speak. Right. And a great tool is the Isotope EQ, the dynamic EQ specifically, if you've got issues that aren't always cropping up, but are here and there. And I might have used the dynamic EQ. Instead, to just dip it whenever it happens, because it happened more than once in the track, but it was only really a problem in one spot in the track. That's a great point. I think it depends on if it's recurring issue. Let's say that it's, in this case, like a vocal, mm -hmm. and it happens not constantly. On certain syllables, it happens once in verse one and a second time in the bridge or whatever, right? Right. You can go about that with, with the dynamic EQ. If it happens more than once, it's going to be a pain in the butt to go ahead and, and do that manually, if you will. Mm -hmm. That would be one way of going about it. I think it's a little different also if you are experiencing the same thing. Let's say that you're dealing with a snare and you have like a weird ringing. Mm -hmm. Chances are that's going to be present through every snare hit going through the song, right? So that, or that's a good when I. Portion of them, depending on how it's being hit, but yes. Sure. That's when I would probably just leave that processing in there on the track. Well, right? yeah. It, but I mean, it's supposed to try to, you know, notch it out and 
be creative and doing it on every hit, right? It doesn't make any sense. But, but there is constant, another tool that makes that fairly, well, actually two other tools that make it fairly substantially easy that I can think of right off the top of my head. They both come from Eventide. And I'm sure other companies have these as well. And that is the split EQ and, sure. yeah. and Fission. Yeah. And they recently did an update to Vision on Eventide as well. So it actually operates a bit more like Split EQ. And Vision is essentially the granddad or the father to Split EQ. The precursor. The precursor, <laughs> yes. But yeah. they've done an update to Vision now that incorporates a lot more of Split EQ into it. So they're almost kind of melding these two. But the specific idea of Vision is to separate the tone from the attack, which is what Split EQ does as well. They have very granular effects that are specifically designed for things like snare drums. Yeah, I haven't played with Fission really. So it's great. Yeah. Yeah, I'm not trying to be like an ad for the plugin, but I have it and I've used it on snare drums for that very specific purpose of fixing Hmm. rings and snares because it's a pain in the ass to EQ it and then have it sound thin in one spot and fine in another. And Fission is capable of doing that as a split EQ to get those things out of the way of each other, so to speak. Right. When you do this processing, let's say that it is a a snare thing, Uh like it's constant through the song. Do you leave the processing there during the mix? Do you tend to rebalance that track? If it's a uh, problem before before the mix and I'm Mm. controlling the output of the multi-tracks, I will make it a part of the processing before it goes to the mix. Okay. But then would you, yeah, so you will apply the processing and then when it gets to mixing, you now have a new version of the snare track, presumably, in your mix without the processing because it's baked Without that corrective processing, yes. Gotcha. Yep. All right. I agree with that. Okay, now, corrective EQ. We've kind of already... (laughs) told what we think about this, but before or after compression? Generally speaking, 99.9999 ad infinitum before. Yeah, because it's fixing stuff. It's not necessarily the sculpting, right? So if you have all these issues before, or let's say that, yeah, if you have them and then you add compression, you might just you're enhancing it, it worse. Yeah. Right. <laughs> making it worse. So, so why yeah. not get rid of it before you're compressing and bringing that volume up and down, so to speak? Wholeheartedly agree with that. Sweet. And with that, we'll be right back after a word from our sponsors. And we're back. We're going to boot on over to the other side of compression and EQ that we are talking about today called sweetening. What is sweetening to you now i'm thinking of the sculpting that i might do to make something sit better in the mix Uh making enhancements to something if it needed or at this point it could still be like it doesn't have to be like it we're adding stuff now this could still be like a subtractive kind of eq to me it just depends on what it is but just to make the track in question here behave in the mix okay That almost sounds like you need a whip and chains, and that comes more along the lines of compression to me. How's that with you? Well, let's say that it's – I'm going to use a drum kit as an example. Let's say that snare that we've now fixed, Mm -hmm. right? It doesn't have that weird frequency ringing out and whistling in the track. 
it can sound awesome by itself. It could sound awesome in the context of the kit, but now we're fighting with other elements of the mix, right? So it might need a little bit of help to cut through the mix, even, right. even if it's been compressed or whatever. It might need a little bit extra low end to it, make it a little bit fatter sounding. It might need a little bit more of the crack. So that's the type of EQ I'm looking at now, right? So it could be boosting a little bit of, I don't know, 1K of the snare. It might be, you know, adding something as low as like 150 to get some heft in there. Although it's hey, like, hey, hey. <laughs> yeah, right. Get some but meat. I, yeah, but I also tend to layer snares a whole bunch. So, but but that's a different story. But um, that's not EQ, dude. Let's stick to the EQ. Let's stick to the subject, shall we? Mm. Yeah. And what about you? Sweetening you to me is often just gentle moves on things to enhance a particular instrument or vocal. So it's similar in nature to what you're saying. It's not often that it is a drastic move, because to me, especially drastic moves are more corrective than they are sweetening. Does that make sense? I know Even though there's saying, a scale there that would happen in the corrective function before compression, after compression, I'm generally not thinking of drastic moves. Well, I'm going to kind of disagree with you there because I think this is where it's very easy to get in trouble mm -hmm. with our mindset. Just like a lot of other people, when I was starting out, I had the mindset of hearing people say, oh, you should never boost more than a couple of dB or whatever. Well, I'm not saying and, that. No, no, no. In terms of the so corrective I'm, stance, that's a big difference. Right. But when you're sweetening something here, uh -huh. even if it's a great sounding, again, snare drum, let's say, right? <laughs> but if you want that, you know, real brightness and you want that real whack, don't be afraid to, to crank like 8K on it. You know, have you ever sure. seen Tom or Chris Lord Algae mix? Of Holy course. moly. Yeah, they've got some like, ridiculous EQ curves. Right. I've seen that. But that's what I'm talking about. I think it's really easy to get really sort of scared of using drastic EQ moves if it needs it, mm -hmm. right? Now, if you always need to do that, then there might be an issue with how you're recording the tracks, right? Sure. But not to be afraid of it if it is, if it's like a really big, dense mix. And if you have to make these drastic moves, make the drastic moves. You're still making something sound better and sweeter, in my opinion. That's the way I, I think about it. Okay. Now, one other point that we're, we're sounding like we're talking about, just like boosting frequencies and stuff. It is also, for me here, it could be like removing mud. Yeah. That's not a fixing issue for me. Like that's, the, a let's say, a kick drum, right? That has a broad frequency spectrum, but there's a whole lot of stuff in there and maybe like the 350 to 500 range that depending on your track, I generally don't want it there anyway. So here I'm, I'm sort of sculpting that out and that's still a sweetening issue, making it sound sweeter and nice, <laughs> and even if it is hyper aggressive or whatever. Well, I would so, liken the removing mud thing that you're talking about as something that also generally brightens up the track that you're removing the mud from. Sure. Because you're leaving what's left over the brighter portion of the sound, whether you're amping it up by using a boost or you're removing something, as in you're saying removing mud, it has the effect of 
auditory illusion that it's getting brighter when you do it or thinner. Sure. It's interesting that you're equating being thinner as being the sweet definition. No, I, I don't think I used the word thinner. I said getting rid of the mud there, but but the byproduct that you're talking about there of making it sound nicer is, of course, you could boost the low end and you can boost the highs, yes. right? And, okay, what's the difference from just taking out the mids, right, and then maybe boosting the track a little bit? You're arriving at a very similar point, right? Yeah. It's a little bit of a workflow thing, but that to me is still finding that ultimate sound for the track in your mix yeah. and doing whatever you have to do there. To well, and the boosting of the high and the low is essentially like removing mids, or you could just remove the mids right. and the high and the low stay. That's six right. of one, half dozen of the other, in a uh-huh. sense. There are going to be mix engineers that will argue that removing it with whatever style of EQ you're using is going to be different than boosting. And that would probably be dependent upon the type of EQ that you use and you've kind of already brought it up earlier in the podcast, but the Poltec Mm -hmm. is not necessarily an EQ that you're going to use for surgical procedures. You can, (laughs) but it's not the greatest thing to use for that. A better option at that point is to use something like a surgical style EQ, which would be your isotope EQ or your fab filter EQ or something that is fine grained in the system that has the ability to change its cue and lots of bands. That's more surgical to me. Whereas things like the Poltec and maybe an Oxford or something of that nature would be more of a grand scheme type of Yeah, and I think whatever technique that you end up using with something like this, it's just really dependent on your workflow and how you arrive at the results best. Sure. Right? Either way from going from, we mentioned Al Schmidt, or you mentioned Al Schmidt, mm-hmm. right? he would just get it off the source and he would probably need very little, if any, EQ right, in his tracks because he's doing it all in one go at, at tracking type of thing. Yep. And then you have other people that have also been mentioned here <laughs> mm-hmm. that are not afraid to use drastic boosts of EQ, generally boosts. Uh-huh. From my experience, I've seen them work. It's just how you arrive at the result to sort of circle around all of this. It's just about getting the sound that you want in your mix and to make it work. One point I wanted to make as well before I forget is when we're talking about sweetening EQ here, it is really important to not do this in solo mode as well. Right. Because if you do that, it's chances are where you end up in the mix – it's going to sound really unnatural in solo <laughs> mode. It can. And that's okay because nobody's going to hear it like that. Right? It's about the whole as opposed to just individual elements. Sure. And that can be quite jarring, I find. That if you're, you know, you're listening to that snare, it's like, God damn, that's a lot of high end. Sure. But when it's in the mix, it's, it works fine. So, so where do you generally put your sweetening EQ moves? You mean before or after compression? Yes, sir. Definitely after. Okay. Definitely after. Yeah. Um, Because now I have sort of like the dynamics and the impact of whatever is there. And now it's just tweaking that. Sure. And if I need to put another compressor after that, then I probably should think about re-recording the track. (laughs) (laughs) uh, I say that sort of half jokingly here, but 
it also is that let's go back and I've used it again and again here. I know a drum track, right? Uh -huh. Let's say that it's a snare. There probably will be additional compression on like my drum bus, for example. Right. Right. But if I, I look at my channel strip and if I have EQ compressor, EQ compressor, and then more EQ, I, I'm probably in trouble. Right? <laughs> so it's, uh, it's something that, uh, but, but generally the way I tend to think of it is corrective EQ before compression and then sweetening EQ after compression. That's yeah. the way I tend to look at it. I'll concur yeah. with that. One Woo. thing I would like to mention before we boot on to the next segment is that mm -hmm. for those learning to EQ and maybe EQ better, it's not a bad idea to try your mix the way you're used to and then go back and try the mix again using the opposite function. In other words, if you're boosting a lot of high end, you do it the way you're used to, and then you come back and try another pass where instead of boosting the high end, you reduce everything else but the high end and see how that changes the way things happen in your mix. Yeah. And, and so on. Right. And then just adjust the fader as well, right? If it just needs it, if it's whatever you have to do. And it's also one of those things that when you're learning this, you don't have to use one method or the other. It's like whatever the track calls for, whatever you can do to make that sound as good as you can make it in the mix, that's the method that you use. So again, just having different mindsets and different tools in your tool chest, I suppose. Oh, yeah. And with these kinds of methods, we're going to move on to Friday Finds. Chris, what have you got today? I saw something really, really cool that I, well, I thought was really, really cool. Anyway, I saw it too. La <laughs> yeah. Laney Amplification have come out with a new tube head that they called the Studio Amp. Mm -hmm. And besides just being a tube guitar amp, it has the ability to record direct from it using IRs that are built in by two notes, I think, right? Yes. That has essentially a DI box in them with IRs in it. You can have six different IRs, and I believe you can even tweak those. I thought that was really cool because we have talked ad nauseum about guitar players. <laughs> I gotta have my tube amp, man. Well, isn't that special? I thought it was very special. So maybe this is one of those products that can get some of the little bit more narrow-minded guitar players to perhaps crack open that door a little bit so you can have your your tube amp and you can just record without micing a cabinet but it, you still can you can still run it with a cab and do it the traditional way if you want or if it's for live or whatever but having that functionality built in i thought was pretty cool that's my find for this friday the laney la studio amp mm -hmm. and you good sir what do you have for us I'm going with something software-based, and this is more for those who are into the creation side of things, although it does contain more than just creation software. Native Instruments has recently released an update to their Complete series, and it is now at Complete 14. Ooh. Ooh. Lots of updates in terms of that, but there is one subtraction and it's going to get some people bummed out. And that is Absinthe. 
is no yeah that's gone there. the way of the dodo bird hasn't it, has. it? <laughs> that's unfortunate with version 14 although the update to their interface that installs all the software does allow you to continue to see legacy software that you can hopefully still run on your machine so mm. native instruments complete 14 and all the variations thereof very that cool. is my pick awesome while we've got your attention, we ask that you go to InsideTheRecordingStudio.com and sign up for our mailing list. Doing so, we'll get you weekly reminders about the Tuesday tips when they come out, and we'll make sure that you don't miss any future episodes of the podcast. Send us an email at goldstar, G-O-L-D-S-T-A-R, at InsideTheRecordingStudio.com with the phrase EQ style, and you'll get something cool back in your inbox. If you have a topic or suggestion for Chris and I to explain in a future episode, contact us at the contact page and we'll put it into consideration for a future episode. With that, I'll say see you next week. Thanks for listening, everybody. Have a good one, Jody. <laughs>